America is a blessing. There, I said it. I will not feed into the lies about our nation's history, mission, and calling. Although the politically correct DC machine and media is screaming this propaganda message in unison, I will choose the calm assurance that Jesus Christ is the King of Heaven. This is where my heart will look towards in times of hypocrisy and manufactured hate-filled chaos. Over 15,000 of our founders' documents were analyzed by an independent researcher in 1983. His conclusions affirm that 94% of our constitutional principles, mandates, and concepts are based directly or indirectly on the Bible. Join us now as we examine our rich history and the modern-day challenges we face today in We the People 2021. Hashtag Need Jesus. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special broadcast on America. Uh, This is Mark Russick. You're listening to the Russick Outlook. Today is very special because we're going to be honoring and investigating the heritage, the richness of the United States, uh, the role of Jesus in the foundation and the structure of government, and some of the wonderful things that this nation has accomplished on behalf of the Lord Um, If you're listening to us from another country or perhaps you're in America and and your heritage uh, brought you here from another nation, I promise you there's much here to glean from and much to learn. Uh, it's, It's really about celebrating America, celebrating this country, but also taking an honest assessment of where we are, some of the difficulties, some of the challenges that we face, and there are many. Uh, which is why I, I, I name this We the People 2021 hashtag Need Jesus. Um, we the People, you know, that comes from our, our founding documents, but bring it right up to today with the hashtag because, you know, we always need Jesus, but today probably more than ever. Uh, so if you're following me on, uh, uh, on video, I'm showing you a montage of images that would just kind of give you an idea of some of the wonderful things about this country, but also some of the challenges that we face. But we're going to get into the truth. We're going to uh, look into some things, and I promise you I'm going to show you some things about the history of this nation and and the very specific ties to uh, the Old and New Testaments that you probably have never heard before. They're they're pretty astounding. I'd say they're even close to being a little bit mind-blowing. Uh, so, so stay tuned. We're going to be hitting that very shortly. But if you can, please hit the like, the subscribe button, like and subscribe button, I should say, as well as ring that bell. Um, at ringing that bell on YouTube and some of the other platforms that we're on and all of the podcasts and, and, and the social media. Please help us with that. If you, when you hit the like and subscribe button, it helps us get the information out. It helps us exchange. Uh, relevancy and, and engage people who are searching for truth. That's really the bottom line. That's what we're about. So please, if you could help us with that, uh, also jump on the Russick Outlook uh, website and sign up for our, for our email notifications. We do nothing other than let you know about new topics coming out. So let me jump right into this. So if you're following me again on with this montage of images, one of the things I wanted to point out, some of the, 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 the trials that we're facing is uh, what, what I call USA Incorporated. And if you've been uh, just even half awake over the last year or two, you see the in- influence of uh, corporate America in directly in bed or in tied in with the government. 
um, and also woke America, the woke generation, having to be politically correct, watch every word you say, watch every gesture you make that you might offend somebody and, and, and so forth and so on. It's, it's really gotten to the point of, of absolute absurdity. Um, and then I've got a, an image of the White House for sale because of our not only of our uh, our economic conditions and, and the massive debt that we're in and the out of control spending that you know that we just continue to do, um, but 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 also the fact that the White House is for sale that the the influence of foreign governments and money uh, buying politicians should be nothing new. We've seen this for decades, but it's become uh, very very. Um, I, I, I would say on the cusp of more than concerning when you know what the influence or the things that the foreign governments now have, some of our um, adversaries who, who have things on our politicians and our leaders that they can use to sway their influence, sway laws. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a very, very dangerous time in America, and I'm just being very honest about it. And then last you see in the corner a Bible resting on the Stars and Stripes which ultimately is is really the only thing that's going to pull us out of this malaise is our reliance on Jesus. Uh, and, and so let, let me just go to the very beginning. I'm going to give you a very brief, quick uh, lesson. And I, I realize that some of you know this, uh, but bear with me. I promise you there's going to be some information in here that you don't know that, that really will, I, I believe, will blow you away. So I want to begin with the Mayflower. Uh, e- even before our founding, you know, many people know about the pilgrims, how they traveled from from uh, England into here for a freedom of religion. They did not want to be part of the Church of England. They wanted to be able to have that freedom of worship, what, you know, whether it's different denominations, uh, Christian denominations, or ultimately this country is about freedom of religion. And that means if you wanted to worship Mohammed, if you wanted to worship Buddha, or if you didn't want to worship, if you were an atheist or agnostic, you are free to do that. And that is one of the splendors and the staples of this country that makes it very, very unique. Uh, there's very few places in the world where you can openly worship the God of your choosing. Uh, but sadly, we are seeing a lot of that challenge today. But let me just uh, break this down for you really quick. The This began in the early 1600s, which caused the birth of the separatist movement. There's a wonderful book. Uh, it's it's a brief book. Of, it's called of, of Plymouth Plantation by William Bradford. I highly recommend this. Uh, but it, it it documents why they came, the voyage that that they took. Incidentally, you out of that out of the hundred and two passengers uh, th- that that came over, forty five of them died in a brutal winter, uh, coming over in sixteen twenty to twenty one. They were supposed to uh, uh, land a little bit further north in America, and, and they wound up landing, as most people know, in Cape Cod. Uh, uh, um, on Plymouth Rock. So the Mayflower Compact is really what I wanted to talk about for a second here. This was the the uh, the ordinance, the the governing laws that they first established. It's a very very simple document. I'll highlight some of this for you in a second, but let me just give you a, a brief background. Uh, this created the laws for the pilgrims and the non-pilgrims. Um, it was a very short document, as I said, and basically what it what it entailed was the colonists would remain loyal subjects to King James despite the need for self-governance. They would create and enact laws, 
ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices for the good of the colony and abide by those laws. So they came knowing and establishing a government. The colonists would create one society and work together to further it. And they would live in accordance with their Christian faith. These were Christian men and women. Let me just give you a highlight. And again, if you're on video, you can just read the whole thing. It's very brief. You can look it online if you're following on podcast. But I, I, I've highlighted some of the things that, that stick out in, in terms of the reliance on Jesus. It begins, in the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, so forth. The next paragraph, have an undertaking for the glory of God and the advancements of the Christian faith and the honor of king and country, our voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, which is where they had wanted to come, do so, do so by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another and so forth. And it goes on for another six, seven, eight sentences. And they, and they all signed it. And, and so, I, again, if you can, look that up. But what I wanted to establish here is that they came, they wanted a new land, a new government. Uh, they, they wanted to establish this for the glory of God and for the independence to worship God in, in the manner of, that they choose. They didn't want to be subject to only the Church of England. So that's before the, 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 the quote-unquote founding fathers. That's the real founding or, or, or the history of this country is kind of where that begins. Then in the early 1700s, 1740 to 1760, you had what was called America's Great Awakening. During this time, historical accounts and biographies all back this up, that the Spirit of God swept mightily through the colonies. Whole towns began to dedicate themselves to God. Benjamin Franklin wrote, It seemed as though the whole world was growing religious. No one could walk to and fro through the town in the evening without hearing psalms sung in different families on every street. This proved to be the foundational education leading directly up to the American Revolution. So we're talking about John Adams, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin. This was their upbringing. This was their culture. This is what how, how, how they began their journey into ultimately the founding of this country. Then I wanted to jump to the Black Robe Regiment, which was part of, during the Revolution, I, 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 I want to cite this because the importance of the clergy, the importance of the church, and, and I see so many, you know, I, I, I love the church, but, the, you know, especially as, you know, I'm, I'm watching COVID during the past year, year and a half, and there's so many mealy-mouthed churches or leaders uh, and, and here I, I look at the bravery and the courage and the moxie uh, of, of the Black Robe Regiment. What, am I, what do I mean by that? So from the pulpits, uh, in the very beginning, in 1776, there was a Reverend Peter Muhlenberg. Uh, when he finished his, a Sunday service on the book of Ecclesiastes, and he declared in the language of the Holy Writ, there was a time for all things, a time to preach, a time to pray, but those times have passed away. There is a time to fight, and that time is now. Muhlenberg removed his black robe, revealing a full military uniform, marched to the rear of the church and said, Who among you is with you, is with me? On that day, 300 men got up and they followed him, and which became uh, the, the 8th Virginia Brigade for fighting for the liberty. So they engaged. Here you have, uh, you know, what, what was the first of the Black Robe Regiment. But this 
was relevant or prevalent, I should say, throughout the land, throughout the colonies. Let me just give you some uh, quotes of historians that, that dug into what was happening at this time, as well as some others uh, that, that, that were privy to some of the information. Um, the American Quarterly Registry in 1833. As a body of men, the clergy were preeminent in their attachment to liberty. The pulpits of the land rang with notes of freedom. Alice Baldwin, historian, writes, The Constitutional Convention and the written Constitution were the children of the pulpit. Uh, B.F. Morris, a historian in 1864, The ministers of the Revolution, like the Puritan predecessors, who we just spoke about, bold and fearless in the cause of country, no class of women or men contributed more to carry forward the Revolution and to achieve our independence than, than did these ministers. By their prayers, patriotic sermons, and services, they rendered the highest assistance to the civil government, the army, and the country. And then finally, Bishop jo Charles Galloway. Mighty men they were, of iron nerve and strong hand and unblanched check and heart and cheek and heart of flame. And such were the sons of the mighty who responded to the divine call. So this was the importance of the clergy, the significance. And in other words, they weren't just preaching the sermon. They were out there living it, fighting, praying, doing everything they could to bring about the liberty and the freedom that we enjoy to this day. Fast forward to the Constitutional Convention, which was our structure, our rule of law. Let me just say that if you consider that the we are one of the youngest nations in the history of the world outside of maybe monarchs, but yet we're still strong. Um, you know, you know, you, you can take the storms that, that, that come and you can consider that this constitution was adopted in 1787. That's 233, 234 years. And, and yet we're still standing. We're still here. And why? Well, I would say because of the dedication of these men and women who subjected themselves to prayer to interceding on behalf of this country and who fought. This was nasty. This was politics. This, you know, this, this took uh, from May 14th, uh, 1787 to September. So, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about months on end trying to hammer out the language and the structure of government, which ultimately led to the three forms of government so that you have balance. You have the legislative uh, branch today making laws, Congress, the Senate, uh, the executive, which is our president, vice president, and his cabinets, and then the judicial, which is the Supreme Court, uh, which is nine justices, which, again, leaves you that ability to uh, come to or render a decision without, you know, getting into some type of tie, although, you know, that that now is, is in jeopardy of, of being um, foregone. But, you know, my, my point here is after this brutal war and everything that they fought for, they still fought valiantly to get it right. Uh, they didn't just, you know, say, okay, this is what we need to do. So, you know, this, this, this was tough times. And if you uh, read about the, you know, some of the things that went on, but I do know that prior to them finally signing, there were ministers there who were praying and fasting for days before the final documents were, were signed and put into law. Uh, the, the our structure of government is a republic. It is not a democracy. Uh, 
let me let me just read a couple of quotes here from John Adams about this. A, de- a democracy is nothing more than mob rule, where 51% can take away the rights of the 49%, whereas a republic is a government of laws, meaning that everybody in every state has has a say in the direction and the future of this nation. So, you know, if you're from a state as small as New Jersey or Rhode Island or, or Delaware, perhaps, you still have that voice in, 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 in front of, um, you know, maybe a, a Massachusetts, a California, a Texas. Uh, you know, you get the idea. Another quote he said was, a democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes itself, exhausts and murders itself because there never was a democracy that did not commit suicide. There's a famous quip that was uh, attributed back then where a woman went to Benjamin Franklin at the conclusion of this, and she says, well, doctor, have we got a republic or a monarchy? Franklin says, a republic if you can keep it. it it's, it's that tough you know, to accomplish. But uh, you know, I would say here we are 200 plus years later and, and still you know, we, we've withstood many, many storms and still going strong. So, you know, some of the things that we've accomplished, the division of power between the branches of the government, you have the federal, the state governments, you had to deal with slavery, with trade, with taxes, foreign affairs, representation, the procedure to elect a president. Uh, you know, you, 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 all of these things, but yet you had all these egos, you had all these, you know, wonderful ideas by the different individuals. So you can imagine the debate and the compromise and, and, and strategies that went into this. This was no small uh, achievement. And matter of fact, I would say it's a great achievement and it should be celebrated. These are the things that some something here I want to read for you that I that what I was citing for that I, I believe will will kind of blow you away. Um, there, Dr. Donald Lutz was a professor of science from the University of Houston. He conducted a 10-year study uh, which analyzed 15,000 political documents from the founding era. This goes from 1760 to 1805. Out of the, the this list of 3,154 citations, they were analyzed and published in volume number 78 of the Political Science Review in 1983. By far the most popular source of the political ideas was the Bible, accounted for one-third of all citations. Another 60% of all references can be attributed to authors which themselves derived their ideas from the Bible. Therefore, it can be said with certainty that 94% of our constitutional principles, mandates, and concepts are based directly or indirectly on the Bible. He later did a study from 76 of the most representative pamphlets and essays written by our founders. In these 76 essays, virtue is emphasized as vital over 300 times. So the the importance of of Jesus and the Bible and the principles that the Bible has laid out cannot be negated. Uh, Some things, I'm just going to read you a couple of quick quotes from, from presidents, former presidents. The Bible is the rock on which this republic rests, President Andrew Jackson, President Samuel Adams. We have this day, the 4th of July, restored the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven, and from the rising to the to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. Abraham Lincoln, the only assurance of our nation's safety is to lay our foundation in morality and religion. President George Washington, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. 
to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly implore his protection and favor. So therefore, you know, there you see it. There you see the reliance, the the unashamed reliance. And some of our greatest presidents, some would say Lincoln is, is our greatest president. And, and and there you see that their reliance and dedication to Jesus Christ, to the Word of God, it is unquestionable, it is undeniable that I believe it plays a major role to the success that, that we've attributed in this country. I wanted to fast forward to what I consider one of the great uh, movements uh, of Holy Spirit in America. It was at the turn of the 20th century, uh, Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And I'm, I'm showing you on full screen here some of the papers, some of the headlines. And it says uh, the Pentecost has come. Los Angeles is being visited by a revival of Bible salvation and Pentecost as recorded in the book of Acts. This, this was the hand of God that was moving swiftly across this land. I cited what we called the first great awakening. This was considered the next move of God, the next great move of God. Here you see, uh, you know, uh, 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 some cars and, you know, so just some things from, from that time. Uh, the apostolic faith, the, 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 the paper that was written there, this goes back to 1906, and, and it was called the Gospel Mission. So, you know, this, they, they, and again, time doesn't allow, but I would be remiss if I didn't cite what I believe is such a significant move uh, of the Lord in the, at this time and, and still a very, very significant role that this plays in our nation's history. Now I wanted to just kind of moving quite along through the 20th century. This is important to me because I want to contrast where we were not, not too long ago compared to what has happened so quickly, so swiftly. It's, it, it's amazing how time is escalating. So I'm showing you here Billy Graham, who's considered the greatest American evangelist. He's, he's highly regarded by people all around the world, recently having passed on the uh, several years ago, but his ministry continues. His his son Franklin Graham um, uh, is running that, and 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 his daughter Anne Graham Lot, Graham Lotz has you know is 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 still preaching the gospel. But in this montage of images, I'm showing you Billy Graham visiting the White House, which was a uh, normal affair from all the presidents, from Truman uh, straight on up to uh, President Number Forty Five, Donald Trump. Uh, so here you have Billy Graham visiting Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and 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 then uh, um, where am I? I'm I'm in bottom right. I'm sorry, kind of all over the map here with these pictures. But it's the Bushes, the the uh, George Bush Senior and B George Bush Junior, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. Uh, and then Franklin Graham is with him, with Barack Obama, as well as with President Trump and President Clinton. Uh, so here you have Billy Graham counseling these men, uh, and, and I'm sure, and their families. And he was known to counsel Supreme Court justices, their staffs, uh, people in the, in, in, in the legislature, the senators, Congress, men and women, and their staffs. Uh, as, as well as others. He's not the only one. But this was commonplace, particularly in times of war. Uh, his counsel was sought. His prayers were sought. This was common in the White House. 
And yet, if you look at Billy Graham and his words today, and, you know, I talked about the politically correct and the woke America, you know, he preached salvation through Jesus Christ as the only way. He preached repentance of sins. Those are things that can get you ostracized today. Those are things that can get you shut down on, on, on different social media platforms. Tech companies could shut you down. So the words of Billy Graham, who was considered this great and is a, a, a wonderful evangelist, and there are many other men and women like him, but this, how quickly the tide has changed and what we've seen over these past 5, 10, 15 years to the language and, and you know, now, you know, if, if you preach some of the things or if you teach some of the things that come out of the Bible is sin, it, you know, it's considered hatred, it's considered bigotry. That's how far we've come from one extreme to the other. So I wanted to bring you up to our foundation, our structure of government, and, and quickly kind of where we are today. So recently, this was just days ago, there's a gentleman named Jason Whitlock. He's actually known as being a sports writer, and, and I, I've known him or familiar with his work for 15, 20 years. But he wrote something, and it's going to be a little lengthy, so bear with me. I'm going to read this, and it's not even the whole thing. But if you have the time to look it all up online, I encourage you to. He writes, he is a, he is a, he's a black man, um, and he's writing this. He addresses it, I should say, to black people. But I would say this should be addressed to everybody, myself, and, you know, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, it doesn't matter. This is to all people, all Americans. And, and, and I was just so taken by his words. So rather than try to sum it up, I wanted to read you what he wrote and give him credit because God bless him. Uh, it says this, we are being lied to and set up. The mainstream media, democratic politicians, social justice activists, and perhaps even your church pastor have led you to believe America is in the midst of a racial conflict similar to the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement. They have pitted us against the Proud Boys, the KKK, rural militia groups, and Trump supporters in a made-for-TV race war. Just five years after Barack Obama completed two terms as President of the United States, we're supposed to believe America has been overrun by violent white supremacists determined to reinstate segregation, Jim Crow laws, and maybe even slavery. Evidence of this massive wage of 20-style bigotry amounts to three things. Number one, Republicans want all voters to show government-issued ID. Number two, January 6th, unarmed Trump supporters crashed the Capitol and took pictures inside Nancy Pelosi's office. Number three, across the nation, people kill on average 250 black men and 450 white men per year. Oh, I almost forgot. There's a fourth piece of evidence. Colin Kaepernick failed to land a job as a starting quarterback after pissing off a large segment of football fans by taking a knee during the national anthem. Those are the smoking guns proving white supremacy is the most dangerous domestic threat America faces. George Floyd, a habitual criminal and drug addict, is the crispest attackist of this raging race war. He is our rallying cry and hero. It's a setup. We're being used as decoys and distractions in a war that has nothing to do with race. The real war is about global power and the future of America's system of government. This country's elite, global citizens and corporations prefer communism over capitalism and democracy. 
They prefer China's system over our system. America has been the world's leader in racial progress and fairness. The mainstream media are not allowed to explain this to you. Advertisers, a.k.a. major corporations, will no longer support media outlets, outlets that, are back, that, that back our current democratic and capitalistic systems of government. You say, what about Fox News? Turn it on. It's filled with a bunch of My Pillow and Wounded Soldier commercials. America's big global corporations, the ones looking to improve their market share in China, are not financially supporting Fox News. The most popular voices at Fox News dislike China. The far race war the mainstream media has promoted is a tool being used to convince you and non-black Americans that our system of government has been a giant failure. They want you to believe that a great reset is necessary to achieve fairness. The reset is communism, which starts with the gateway drug of socialism and ends in full-blown Marxism. China is run by the Chinese Communist Party. Communism has no respect for individual freedom or religion of any kind. Communism has no tolerance for political dissent. Your religion and free speech will not survive the reset. Communism is racial suppression, best, best friend. When a nation is stripped of religious faith and free speech, few people have the courage to defend the rights of minorities. The elites cozying up to China do not care about you. They are aware of how despicably China treats black people. They are aware of how China squashes dissent. Do your own research on communism and, what's, and what it stamps out and how it oppresses. Don't take my word, Jason Whitlock. I will go on to say that, you know, he, he, there are some other things that he put in there. I didn't have time to cover it all. It's not much more. Most of it's covered here. But please look it up online. I, I, I can't answer this because I think he's nailed it. I think what he's saying is spot on, that we're being duped, that we're being set up, that I don't, dis, that I don't dispute that there's racism in the world. But that is not what is going on today. That is not the agenda that's being driven. It's not the truth. People are being used. So I come in complete agreement with Jason Whitlock. Then you have the critical race theory that's being taught. Uh, this, this is just another, um, it, it's another weapon of hatred. It's another tool of division. It, it, I say, you know, critical race theory um, you can take this acronym as creating racial tension. That's really what I believe. I, I, I've written some things here if you want to follow on video, but let me just say this. The fundamental purpose of this is to destroy a sense of national solidarity. It makes people easier to control. People who have a sense of shared history and of pride and a place that are har they're harder to control. They want self-government. They want to control their futures, at least I do, and they want politicians to listen to their concerns. People who hate themselves and hate the history as much are easier control, easier to control, and much easier to manipulate. That that's that's my opinion again, and I you know I've said that all along. I I really believe this whole sixteen nineteen project, this critical race theory, it, it, it's a tool of division, and it's being used by this government, by the bankers, by the by the large corporations to wield and and divide hatred. It's, it's despicable. It's reprehensible. Let me just close with this, because the 46th president 
he's he's right in the center of this and, and his administration. This is what they do. This is what they drive. They lie in order to accomplish this by driving hatred. The 46th president claims that the gravest threat, this is just recently, uh, you know, as I sit here at the celebration of our country, this is our president says that the threat, uh, the greatest threat to this country is, country is not Islamic radicalism, ISIS or Al Qaeda, which is what the government has told us for the last 20 years. It's not the brutal mobs of racial extremists who burned and looted our cities during this past summer in, in 2020. So we, meaning Black Lives Matter and Antifa. No, it's not them. They're the ones who burn the cities. But no, it's not them. The main threat that we face, according to the 46th president of the United States, is white supremacy, white American intelligence, uh, a terrorist. Our intelligence and law enforcement agencies have concluded that what the president said, and, and he, what this is what he said, he said, our intelligence agencies have concluded that it's a fact, that it's an established fact, he said. But he never says who the white supremacists are. He doesn't explain what they believe, what they plan to do to America. He announced, no, no, there's no arrests. There's not a single person or a single organization. Who is this white Osama bin Laden? Who are these domestic terrorists? We still don't know the answer, but yet the 46th president is out there saying this. In recent years, there's been so few crimes committed by avowed white supremacists that the FBI strongly considered dismantling the office within the domestic terror division. I'm not saying that they're not there, but they're not this threat that, that we're being led to believe by the 46th president and his administration and the, and the propaganda parrots in the media that, that, that uh, mimic these lines and, and they speak in unison and the corporations get in line, uh, hence MLB and, and taking Atlanta out of the All-Star game, things that are as ludicrous and, and, and ridiculous as that, nonetheless, and taking uh, uh, jobs and opportunities out of, out of the people who would have benefited from the All-Star game being played in Atlanta. Uh, for decades, by contrast, the greatest domestic terror threat has come from radical environmental groups. We can look this up. They commit the, the, the most crimes. White supremacists are at the bottom of the list, according to federal statistics. Americans are much more likely to die from a lightning strike than at the hands of white supremacists. White supremacy is ugly. It is nasty. It is, there's no excuse for it, and I'm not condoning it in the least. But it is not this giant threat to this nation that is being propagated and, and advertised by, by the White House and others. So why do they persist in telling this lie? It is a racial attack, clearly. But it is waged for political purposes to tell black voters that Republicans are the KKK and maybe they'll keep voting for you. That's the idea. It's certainly easier than fixing Chicago or raising test scores, which is what they should be doing. There's also a deeper significance. This administration is signaling a very real change to federal policy. The war on terror is now ongoing for 20 years is pivoted away from Islamic terrorism or, or wars that we've waged in the Middle East. It's now being waged against American citizens or opponents of the regime of, of what we're looking at. So that's the degree of, what, of, of how we've changed. I just wanted to cite some things that stand out to me because I believe this nation is great. I believe the people are great. I cite here the Civil War. Slavery was absolutely reprehensible, despicable. But let me cite in the grand scheme of things in, in reference to other nations. 
we were the fifth nation in the world to abolish it some 75 years after the founding of our country. Uh, the uh, Somewhere around 1815 to 1820, England was the first. And then with the Civil War, we were number five. So we clearly fought against that. We clearly recognize how despicable that is. So I would say that is a great thing that came out of that. Then, you know, there, there's the wars of 1914 and, and World War I and World War II, how we fought uh, Nazism and the hatred against the Jewish people in the concentration camps. This country has done so much great for the world. It fought in Europe. It fought in Asia. Uh, it, it freed many of the Jewish people. It stood for Israel in 1948. It, it stood in, in, in the gap and was the first nation to come on board and, and to align and to agree in the United Nations that Israel will be a nation. It came in agreement with heaven. And it came in agreement with heaven in 2017 when, when the 45th president uh, moved the embassy and, and recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. There are so many great things that we've done over the years. And yes, we have our faults like every other country. And I'm not minimizing anything that we've done wrong over the years. But to say that I should be not proud or not recognize the rich, beautiful heritage, the strength, the courage, the tenacity of our men and women in uniform, first responders, doctors, lawyers, Everything about this country and the ideas, the great American experiment is a wonderful thing, and I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm not going to cower. I'm not going to be one of these people, uh, you know, who one of these woke generations. So, what, you know, where does that lead us from where we were and what we were doing and where we are today? I'm going to conclude that it's time to wake up, that our answer is Jesus. That's the only answer of what we can come through. Uh, and why? Because the time is near. So I'm showing you some things about an alarm clock, the church, and, and the flag uh, out, outlining the, the uh, continental United States. My message is this. First and foremost, preach, share, and pray the gospel message of salvation by grace through faith. Pray without ceasing. Give generously. Clothe the poor. Love your neighbor. Be strong. Be courageous. Feed the hungry. Love unconditionally. Honor the elderly. Do these things no matter what anybody says. Uh, we, we need to recognize that we are in this situation, but that we don't have to get in line or blend in. Let's be the salt of the earth. Let's continue to stand and believe God for the best of this nation. Let's do everything we can and because God has given us a gift. He's given us life. He's given us this land. If you are an American and you're in this land, and if you're not an American and you're in wherever part of the nation or whatever part of the world you're living in, give your best. Do all of these things, no matter what anybody says around you, because ultimately God is watching you. Jesus is watching you. The Holy Spirit is with you. So that that that's my my message. So I recognize I might be a, a little bit of a soapbox, but I feel passionately about this country. I feel passionately about America. I love this country. I love what it's about. I love what it signifies. I love the opportunities that it offers. I'm not going to get in line. I'm not going to be part of the woke generation. I'm not going to uh, think the worst of America. I'm going to think the best of America. I'm going to think the best of my fellow man and woman. I'm, I'm not going to feed into this hatred. And I'm going to stand up for truth because ultimately, 
Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. And, and, and that's the only truth that matters because anything else outside of Jesus falls far short. And as I always say, as always, just my opinion.